He's a Canadian guy, a short little fat ex-chef. And uh, yeah, lovely man though. Hello and welcome back to episode 14 of the Pepper Pod. 14 episodes, Andrew. That's, uh, that's, oh, we're a long way down this train track now. Too far to go back, would you say? Um, yeah, you don't want to go back on a train track, do you, anyway? And you can't, you can't turn off on a train track either. So we're just sort of trundling. You could stop the train. We could just stop the train and we could just clamber out of the, the driver's cabin and, and run off. You to one side of the train, me to the other side and just never, never talk about this again. Yeah. yeah, I went to drop Gus off at uh, Oxford Pet Whisperers. They're like a doggy daycare. They've reopened two days a week. Brilliant, absolutely brilliant. And uh, we used to take Gus and Pip there. But as we've separated the two dogs, we, we took Gus there twice a week. So he's enjoying it. Mm. But anyway, there was a train track that you could take this route where you'd have to go to the train track. So I pulled up, but the the um, you know the, the gates were down. And um, it was really weird because I wasn't sure how to do it. So I was like, do I get out and press the button? But what if the button doesn't open? Am I going to look stupid? So... I just turned the car around and went the other way. Um, it was like being a little kid, you know, not wanting to be embarrassed. So, mm. yeah. Oxford pet whisperers. Um, yeah, they just they just go up to the dogs and go, oh, have you heard about such and such? Oh, he's terrible, terrible. What? That other dog that you live with doesn't like you at all. Oh. Um, well, rumour has it that in there, they're, they're all talking about Mabel and Olive. And... Um, yeah, yeah, it's Olive and Mabel. It's never Mabel and Olive. Olive oh. always gets as just as the older dog, the first dog, the original. She always gets top billing. So, mm. um, uh, listen, we have got to be professional about this and trail ahead to what's coming up in this week's podcast number fourteen. Too late to stop now. Subheading: uh, Danny Willett is going to be with us because he will be joining us en route to Texas uh, for their. Um, concerts that they're playing no for, to Texas for um, the golf is back on the PGA Tour the Colonial the Charles Schwab challenge the Schwab the Swab the medical swabs that are taken challenge um, so I, I really hope play. that what I'm surely surely Matthias Schwab is going to get an invite uh, into that tournament sometime soon wouldn't it be great if he won it um, uh, it would. Uh, he was playing in the latest BMW Indoor Invitational. Um, I, I saw, but uh, again, no Eddie Pepperell. But anyways, no, sorry, we'll be talking to Danny Willett. So he's going to be going to the airport. We're going to be grilling him about what he expects, how he's going to be getting there, what's going to be happening. Because it's a great field for the uh, Charles Matthias Schwab Challenge at uh, the Colonial. This is the Colonial. This is a big tournament. But this... This year, it's, it's even bigger because this is the, the return for golf and the PGA Tour, so it's getting the kind of field that it could ordinarily only only dream of. It's always been a big tournament. I mean, it's got $7.5 million prize fund, but the field is stacked. You know, the world's top 20 ranked players, 15 are playing. Uh, McElroy and Kepka and Ram, they're all going to be playing together, in fact. So the world's top three all playing together, and many, many more besides. Bronson Burgoon is playing. But anyway, we'll come to that tomorrow. <laughs> I, I played I played the first two rounds at the Sawgrass, uh, at the Sawgrass, at the players with him uh, uh, last year, Bronson, a uh, nice guy. Um, oh, I think I told you just to talk about dogs with him because he's got, he loves yeah. his dogs. God, that does ring a bell. When yeah. did we talk about that then? I don't know, it's just, I, I don't know, in a previous life. Um, listen, we'll come to all that serious chat in a moment. When Danny rings in, he was supposed to ring in at um, four minutes ago, so... Danny, we're going to be waiting for Danny in this podcast. Are we um, 
Did he request to come on after last week when I said he's the greatest Danny ever to play golf? Yeah, we're you... then chatting to Dan Paul, who uh, <laughs> later in the programme. Um, but yes, we'll have, there aren't many golfers called Alan, uh, name to be revealed. But um, I see you were watching the rerun of the 2012 Ryder Cup, the Miracle of Medina last night. Was that being with Sky playing that out? Yeah, they were playing it out and uh, I just turned it on and uh, they were kind of, there was like four or five matches left out on the course and I thought, oh, this is, you know, this is just such a great ending and uh, I just watched it. And yeah, I must say, of all the events, that's probably, well, that's up there, isn't it? That's got to be top three memories in golf, you know, whether it's Paul what he did on the Saturday, Keimer's, you know, part on the last, um, just extraordinary, really, the way it all unfolded, so much drama Mm. and... uh, yeah. yeah, I'm wondering if the Ryder Cup is going to happen this year now because it, we've all been saying, well, that's not going to happen this year because the players are against it happening without fans. But if you look at what they're doing in America, and again, we'll talk about the Colonial in a minute, but you know, the Memorial Tournament in Ohio next month, they're going to have fans there, really because the, the governor of Ohio has said, yeah, everything's opening, everything's fine, everything's fine, just look the other way. Um, so they're opening up um, you know, places of public meeting, whether it's cinemas or restaurants or whatever it might be. So the Memorial Tournament, uh, which was supposed to be played just the weekend gone there, but has been rescheduled for next month. So they're going to be playing that with fans. It's going to be the first on the PGA Tour with fans after five behind closed doors. So, you know, by September... I mean, the, the trouble is they have to make a commitment, I suppose, to the Ryder Cup a bit earlier because it's such a, a big event. But you never know. Yeah, I um, actually spoke to someone the other day who has a bit of an in. And he, long story short, and I didn't remember much of it, but basically I remember two things. Insurance problems, and but they did also say they would take 40,000 fans. So mm. um, I think it's just a bit of a mess at the moment. And my understanding was nobody wants it to happen, but the insurance is... Uh, a big issue so um i don't know the ins and outs of that uh can you okay. believe that but uh, it's the truth <laughs> and uh, yeah oh, vague chat on the pepper pod this week so it's always vague i know well i mean that's the thing when people look at it in black and white and say oh it, it's either going to happen or it's not going to happen just make it happen or just cancel it but there are far more as you know far more nuanced and there are far more complications and things to consider than just staging an event just make it happen um, make Ryder Cup great again. Uh, so, I don't know. We're, we'll, we'll see. Uh, other golf news while we wait for Danny. We might get the whole of this podcast done while we wait for Danny. Uh, Justin Rose is sticking his hand in his pocket and, and rummaging around and finding £35,000 or thereabouts uh, to help support women's golf. So, he and his wife, Kate, are supporting what is now called the Rose Ladies Series. We we talked last week about the standalone event that was scheduled for Brockenhurst Manor on June the 18th. This was devised by uh, LET player Liz Young and uh, a guy, Jason McNiven, who's a club fitter, is based at Brockenhurst. So now it's not a standalone event. It's been joined by an event at Moor Park, the Buckinghamshire, St George's on July the 9th. I mean, how weird that so close to the days when it was supposed to be holding the Open, it's going to be holding one of these events. Then the JCB Club at Bearwood Lakes, and then a two-day final event at the end of July at a venue yet to be confirmed. So all these events will be behind closed doors, but all will also be broadcast on Sky Sports. And uh, Rose has stepped in because he he realised that he and a lot of the men on the PGA Tour are in that privileged position of golf coming back and coming back in a fairly big way 
whereas for the women in particular on the LET, it's just difficult. So it's not, a, you know, this isn't a huge amount of money in the grand scheme of things, but well done to Justin Rose and it's it's competition as much as anything else and it gives a bit of profile as well and and hopefully we'll sort of bridge the gap until the LET and the LPG to a proper comeback. Yeah, I saw this last night and I got to say I thought it was brilliant. Um, you know, we talked a little bit last week, didn't we, about the uh, unfortunate timing of all of this and what was going to happen. And, you know, it, to me, it's a little bit emblematic of the structural issues that we do face um, as a society, because, you know, ideally you would want institutions being able to be robust enough to um, supply this kind of funding. But when we're in a position where we're reliant on individuals, um, uh, you know, it's not good. Yeah. And um, yeah, you know, it's uh, it's a tough spot now for a lot of people. But, you know, you need people like Justin Rose in the world and uh, fair play to him. Yeah, well, he's in the field this week. A few other players, we mentioned McElroy, Brooks, Kepka, and John Ram, the world's numbers one, well, three and two now, I suppose. Um, Kepka's three, John Ram's two. They're all playing together. Um, but uh, 15 out of the top 20 in the world are playing so other names uh, Shane Lowry's there Mickelson's there Justin Rose Garcia DeChambeau Patrick Reed. the only sort of big names missing really are uh, Pepperell Tiger Woods so Tiger's not playing I think he will come back they're saying at the memorial which will have fans that's what that's what the word on the street is the words down the uh, Oxford Dog Whisperers is that he will come back at the memorial Tommy Fleetwood as well is not there he felt he'd be away from family for too long with the uh, the sort of quarantining that you have to do once you get there. Molinari, a similar story. Adam Scott said he didn't feel comfortable with the PJ Tour protocols that were in place. And I, I was noticing, and I think you, you noticed, oh, hang on, oh, that's ringing. I wonder if you can hear that ringing. We're going to answer. Well, let, let's, chat to, let's chat to Danny Willett. How exciting. Uh, let's press that. Hello. Hello, Danny. It is, it is, Danny. How are you? I'm not too bad. Eddie's here as well. Hi, Danny. Good. How are you, Pat? You're right. Oh, right you. Yeah, you. Um, is it chauffeur driven to the airport today, or are you driving yourself? You know what? We've been responsible adults and to curb the uh, the threat of COVID. I'm actually driving myself to the airport for the first time oh. in a while. All oh, right. Nice. We're just going to crack so on then, Danny. Um, no, is, it, is it all recorded? It's all recorded. No effing and blinding, no swearing, you can edit all that, can you? I can, I can edit all that. I mean, <laughs> that, that's pretty much what Eddie does to me every week anyway. So uh, we'll, just, we'll, just, we'll just get started. So, Danny, how, yeah. um, how are things with you and where are you at the moment? Uh, I'm in Orlando. No, things, things have been good. It, you know, at the, start of, at the start of COVID and stuff, it felt like it was kind of never going to end. And all of a sudden, this last few weeks have gone really quickly. Um kind of with the realisation that, you know, this is this is happening, we're going back to play. So um, let's try and prepare as good as possible and uh, and get back to it. So, yeah, that's that's where we're on the way now. We've got the first tournament, tournament at Colonial coming up this week. So, um, yeah, I guess we've got to kind of get back to get back to it and, uh, and work out that, uh, that this is our job and we've got to do it. So, yeah, looking forward to it, though. It's going to be interesting. Four weeks, no fans. Um you know, just just kind of go there with, with with no expectations. We've had a nice, you know, I've trained well, I've practiced well, but I'm going to go there and try and enjoy, you know, the fact that we're very fortunate and that we're going to, you know, we're going to be able to play some golf. I mean, first things first, Danny. How how are you going to 
are you going to get there? I mean, uh, you know, uh, all the logistics of it are reasonably complicated as well. So you're on your way to that, the that, airport that, just that, now? That's a really loaded question, that does cost us. <laughs> no, not at all. So you're in your how private you car. Get, how are you going to get there, Dan? Well, I'm, cur- I'm currently driving my car to the private to the private NetJet terminal to fly to, fly to Dallas Fort Worth to, to, to pick up my to pick up my courtesy car to go to the golf course. <laughs> but you're only doing that out of uh, yeah. medical concern for everybody, though, so that's nice. So, but well, listen, it's you know, um, but you know what it, it, it is. It is. It is an interesting one because you know, everywhere, everywhere is. I've only been in. I've only been in Orlando since it all started, so I can only tell of what it's been like here. And um, you know, we felt pretty safe here things have things have shut down but not shut down fully you know we've still been able to do a lot of normal things unlike you know a lot of countries so you know we'll see we'd be very very careful obviously with the two with the two boys um so you know it's, it's been a very different scenario i think talking to family and friends back home um over here than it has been than it has been in england so yeah we yeah we're gonna fly there and and play some golf and fly home danny what was it like to um pack a suitcase i didn't mm. I absolutely despise lists. My wife writes lists every day for no reason whatsoever, just so that she can tick something off, I think. Um, so I actually have to write a list of what to pack. That's how, that's how long it was been. Mm-hmm. I mean, down to the stupid stuff, passport, accreditation, pants, socks. Like you would forget them ordinarily if you were packing. Yeah. I, I once so. went to Made in Denmark and I forgot to pack boxes. It's the only tournament I've ever been to. <laughs> where I forgot to pack boxes. This was in 2018, and we were staying in like an L-shaped, sorry, a U-shaped hotel, and I remember Richard Bland had to warn me one day, Ed, listen, I can see you walking around your rooms, so just be careful. And I played the whole week commando, and uh, it, I never again. It was one of the worst experiences How ever. How did you play? Was, I, I played okay, but it was quite a muggy week, so, um, yeah, it wasn't good. Uh, you need, yeah, you need something to soak up the moisture. Oh, for God's sake, both of you. Um, just talc it. Just, just talc it. Talc it and go. Free, free ball it and talc it. It should have like a winner. Oh, we're now, that's it. We're, our first sponsor for this podcast is going to be Johnson's Baby Powder. That's Johnson it. Johnson and Johnson's Baby Powder. Um, so are, are there any serious concerns, though? I see Adam Scott, we were talking about, you know, he doesn't feel that the PGA Tour protocols are quite robust enough. Or, and it's, it's a bit of a trip up into the unknown for everybody, but are you happy with the systems that are being put in place? I mean, it's, it's you know what, I, I don't I don't, I don't really know, I'm not an expert on it all. Um, Sam, my caddy, flew in um, two weeks ago. Uh, he self-isolated in a hotel until he had two negative COVID tests. I know that other people have done similar. Some people have just completely ignored that and just, you know, gone to normal houses or whatever. Um I have no I have no idea. You know, we've all we've all had to take a test before we fly just to make sure that we're negative. Otherwise, you obviously can't fly to the tournament. So, I, I I can only assume that by the time we get there, they're hoping to have 156 players, 156 caddies, coaches, and guys who are all negative. And then, you know, and then fingers crossed, it should then go all smoothly. But you know, nobody it is the unknown. Nobody knows. Um, you can't see you can't see this thing. You can't. All you can do is you can you can prepare as good as you can and, and, and be clean your hands, sanitise, all that kind of stuff. Um, so we'll, we'll just have to wait and see. It, it really is an unknown. The reason I'm playing is because, because it is an unknown. I think that a few people could get a bit freaked out by it, not quite like it. So it's, you know, in my opinion, it's also a good opportunity to go and play um, and get some tournament golf under your belt when there's going to be potentially people there who are still unsure, you know, as to the circumstances. Yeah. 
Well, what do you think about the weirdness of it the, in terms of what it's going to be like playing uh, with the minimal amount of people on the course uh, and, and obviously no fans, but it's going to be quite an eerie atmosphere? Yeah, it will be very, it will be very strange. I mean, I've played, um, I can't remember what tournament it was, I played it, to, it might have been last year when we had a massive washout and the fans couldn't come because of how dangerous it was um, Liberty. Um, because they'd had such bad thunderstorms and rain, the fans actually couldn't come watch when we got back out to play. And that, again, was, was strange. At least for like grandstands and things set up, so it felt a little bit more like it. But I, I can only assume that there'll be nothing. It'll be like playing with your pals on a weekend. Um, but instead of chucking $20 in the pot, you're obviously playing for uh, a hell of a lot of money. So, yeah, it's going to be it's gonna be a strange vibe. But, you know, at the same time, you, you're still... As, as, as competitive athletes, we're all, you know, we're all still competing against each other and against ourselves. And um, yes, it's nice to have the fans and the crowds there watching and supporting. Um, but obviously, I think a lot of the guys now realise here that, you know, they're doing this, you know, to hopefully get some good viewing on TV for people to, to kind of let people at home, you know, have a little bit of sport back in their lives. I was asked the other day whether the standard, what I thought the standard would be like in the first few weeks back, whether we thought it, whether I thought it'd be worse or better, and I wasn't sure. And I and I figured maybe the first week it might be a little off, but I could see where the second and third week it could just get ridiculous. Um, what's your thought? You know, how do you think it could be standard-wise? I just wonder how much the crowds affect. Well, I know I think the crowds do affect nerves. You know, quite a lot. Obviously, the more people, the more noise. It does make it a little more nerve-wracking. So uh, I'm curious. What do you reckon? Yeah, I think it's a bit of both. I think you'll see guys um, that will have either trained really hard and you'll see guys coming out fitter, stronger, um, better mechanically. Um, but then guy, you know, some guys might need the crowds to actually help them. Some guys might love the fact that there's no crowds there. Um, mm. You know, it's like whenever I come back out and play Abadada, usually first one of the season, I always think, oh, the scoring's always... You took golf course, scoring might not be great around there and the scoring's already stupid. So... Um, this, this could be very similar way, you know, guys have still, you know, they've now had four weeks since they got told that we were actually going to play. Um, that's, a hell, that's a hell of a lot of time to get to get prepared and ready um, to do so if you're in a state, you know, where, where you can go play and practice and stuff. So I could see the standard being pretty good, um, mm. to be honest. I mean, we all watched the, the couple of matches that have happened over the last couple of weeks with Tiger and Phil and Rory and DJ and Wolfie and Ricky and... You know, yeah, there's little bits of rust in there, but by the same token, that that was a pretty casual affair. Um, you know, this this again, there's, there's, this is now tournament golf, and I think I think we'll see I think we'll see um, I think we'll see some pretty good scoring. Do you, have you still got the voice function on your sat nav? Because that's just annoying. That's just uh, what, you've got to keep right, keep right, Danny. Um, is this your own car? I, I know, I know, I know roughly where I'm going, but I'm still not I'm still not a native Floridian. All right, I see. Um, have you got? Uh, so, are you doing a full run of tournaments now? Because you know it's Hilton Head next week, and then up to Connecticut. Are you doing a, a, a good run? Because you know you're champing at the bit, waiting to get going. Yeah, I'm gonna do. I'm gonna do at least three in a row. Um, I'm flying home in between to go spend time with the family and stuff. Again, I think, regardless of us players, I think this. I think this time is going to be really hard on players' as families. Um, mm. You know, my little boys have had me around for. For 10, 11 weeks now. Nick's having around for 10, 11 weeks, you know, sharing the load. Um, our two kids are, are pretty mental. So, um, being able to share that load and actually then, you know, kind of get her perspective on what she sees on a day-to-day basis and stuff. So, me leaving, I found it pretty hard because I know how tough, you know, every day is, is with those two, um, as beautiful as they are. Um, so, I think I think that that's, you know, that's another one where I'm, I'm playing a lot, but I'm, I'm also going to try and get home for at least a day and a half in between where... Um, 
I can come and help out and stuff and then fly back out again. Again, because ordinarily we would have family over um, to help out with Nick and the boys and stuff and, um, and you know, they can see the grandparents and stuff. And, and again, that's that's obviously all changed now. So, um, yeah, we're going to we're down to play them and we're just going to kind of see, see how it goes. I bet you're going to miss uh, Nick's cooking, aren't you? Hey, that's my cooking, perhaps if you don't mind. Um, oh, she's a very it? good oh. cook, but uh, she's been she's been she's been teaching me the ways um, during lockdown. When Matt Wallace and Tyrrell came round, who uh, who bought the best bottle of wine? Uh, I actually think uh, I actually think she did. It's always the same, isn't it? You bring they bring round a nice bottle, and then we end up opening my really nice bottles first. <laughs> There we are, an insight typical into... Su- typical, typical Southerners, you lot. Typical Southerners. <laughs> yeah, you're all Southerners to me. Um, anyway, listen, Danny, thank you very much, because uh, I know you'll be you'll be getting to the airport soon, and I hope you get a good seat on the Southwest uh, Airlines flight to Fort Worth and, uh, you know, <laughs> <laughs> jostling for space at the Starbucks in the terminal. Oh, Anyway, right, so, listen, I hope it goes well this week. i have to bring my own to-go coffee, don't you, don't you, <laughs> Well, listen, best of luck this week, and thanks for thanks for stopping by, as they say, and we'll, we'll follow with interest how you get on and how the whole thing goes, because it really is uncharted water. So thanks, Danny, and uh, go well this week. Thank you, fellas. Take it easy. Play, play well, Danny. Eddie Pepperell. Which one is he again? Hello. Sorry, I hung up on you as well, by mistake. I, I, I did a double hang-up. Um, anyway, we're still concerned. recording. So there he goes, Danny Willett, um, off to the airport. Oh, how the other half live. It's not how the other half live, it's how the how the point two percenters live. Um, that's the way to so, do it. Last year, I, um, I've the first time I ever flew private in my life, and it was to the WGC Memphis. And uh, I flew from, uh, I think it was Memphis to Nashville or vice versa. And I've got to say, it was extraordinarily easy. And mm. I, could, I mean, the thing is, it's if there's five. If, I think there was five or six of us on the plane, so it didn't equate to actually too much money. And for the ease of you know travel, it was well worth it. But you know, I know they charge around ten thousand dollars an hour um, for one of those flights. So uh, you know, you really want to be pairing up at least with those things. But uh, yeah, those guys in America, they make so much dosh that they're always flying private. It's, uh, it, it makes it so much easier, though. I must say. Oh, I, I mean, for those who have the wherewithal, like you say, when the, everyone clubs together and does the, these NetJets thing, NetJets, sponsors of the Pepper Pod, not really. Uh, it was quite but... funny, though, because we, we had, so Poulter, one of the guys was Poulter, and he was uh, he knew how to arrange all the clubs. So we all had our luggage, we were all taking our woods out, Poulter was there at the back of the plane, you know, stacking everyone's woods up, and uh, it was quite funny watching uh, watching him organise it all at that point. Mm. Um, it, was a, it was a laugh it's a different world Rem- remember there is the ch- special chartered jet as well for those playing on the PGA Tour who can't the the Bronsons uh, who are not quite there yet who can't do the private jet thing so they're going to be going on a, a 144 seat plane with spacing in between and this is only going to be for the the players I think maybe caddies as well for those who have passed the test and that's going to be going between tournaments so it's all a bit weird but everything's weird isn't it so it'll be nice just to have a bit of golf back but um, that'll be very strange to watch I imagine very strange to play in as well I looked at the <laughs> the alternates for the Charles Schwab at Colonial um Peter Malnati, Hank Lebioda, Bo Hogue. Um, so I'm going to be hoping that Bo Hogue gets into the um, into the field. But he's third alternate, so he's not. Oh, no, he might be first alternate, Bo Hogue. 
But anyway, I hadn't heard of uh, Bo Hogue, so he's going to be my player to watch now in the future. Um, I just like saying Bo Hogue. So Hank Lebioda, he's uh, he's a left-handed golfer, and his caddy, Todd, Todd Clarkson, he used to caddy for me, actually. He caddied for me at the US Open in 2017. Mm. And uh, he's a Canadian guy, a short little fat um, ex-chef. And, uh, yeah, lovely man, though. Um, okay. Very little hair, a bit like you, Andrew. My brother um, announced whoa, whoa, in the whoa, week... Whoa, 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 Okay, I'm not fulsome of hair, not, you know, Paul Casey, you know, Playmobil hair, but... Um, Do you uh, just I, cut it, then? Yeah, I just, I just cut it really short. So, if I grew it out, it would still be there. It would just be uh, a little bit thinning on thinning on top. Quite, th- I mean, quite thin now, but but I could still grow it, but I just w- couldn't, I wouldn't grow it because I think it would look bad. Actually, um, I would love to see you with sort of my length of hair. That would look amazing. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Let's, uh, well, I could have done that in lockdown, but then I had to do the occasional sort of online uh, Q&A thing, and uh, I wouldn't have liked to have appeared with Yeah, you see, of- I think... Mabel and Olive are going to expect your hair to grow out. You know, with all this fame, you're going to be like the new Robert Downey Jr. or Johnny Depp. You're going to be unhinged soon. I think long hair, beard, weed. Uh, anyway, I was going to tell you that um, my brother, he announced to us in the week that he's having a baby. Well, oh, his right. girlfriend is. Um, yeah, but uh, in December. So I'm going to be an uncle soon and my brother's going to be a father uh, at the end of the year. So um, we had some good news this week, Andrew. That is good news. Well done to mm. well done to Joe and is it, yeah, Joe um, and his significant other as well. Well, I, I wanted to get that in because after last week's podcast when I was giving my brother and our friend who I played golf with a little bit of stick, Jen, yes. my girlfriend, listened to the podcast and she said to me, God, you can never say anything nice, can you? So I promised to her that I would say something nice and... Um, so, you know, there it is. You haven't said anything nice about Joe. You've just said that he's capable of fathering children. So, well, that's quite nice, I suppose. That he, well, Yeah, well, that's more than I expected. Okay, let's not stray too far down that road. But well done to well done to Joe and everyone concerned. Um, so, yeah, so we've talked a little bit about the schedule coming up after the Charles uh, medical Schwab at Colonial. So um, I think we can probably probably start to move. Actually, I did want to talk about Rory McIlroy just because I was looking at his um, record. You know, it all seems there from a lifetime ago now, so records aren't really, you know, current form. There's no such thing as current form. But his last seven tournaments, McIlroy, going into this one, his last seven tournaments, third, first, fourth, third, fifth, fifth, fifth. I mean, that's... For people who don't know golf, they might be listening and going, well, he only won once, but that's just... that's just an extraordinary record of consistency, isn't it? Yeah, Rory's golf in the last 18 months has been, well, the, the statistically, I think it's shown that it's the second or third greatest year ever um, mm. last year behind two of, you know, Tiger's two best years. Um, or I think he was actually sandwiched in the middle. So, uh, yeah, people don't appreciate it. It's still beggars belief that Rory gets stick about not winning enough. I mean, it's just absurd. The standard is so, so good. And winning is obviously very difficult. And um, but he's up there every week. You know, he's uh, he's ridiculously good. I think there's going to be the big rival to him over the next few years is going to be Bo Hogue. It's going to be <laughs> Rory McIlroy and Bo Hogue. Uh, right, it's time as ever for this. I'll tell you what, there aren't many golfers called Alan. Yes, indeed, there aren't many golfers called Alan. He said wearily. 
Um, again, people pointing out what names we've forgotten from our names of choice over the last few weeks. Fair enough. We, we didn't expect to remember all of them. Some Again, people are listening to old episodes, and so someone has, uh, in fact, this was on a review. Martino HB or Martin OHB has said... Um, Stephen Gallagher, how could you forget Stephen Gallagher, especially when we were talking about Bernard? I, d- I don't know, I love Stephen Gallagher, I'm friends with Stephen Gallagher. St- Galley, Stevie, Stevie G. Um, yeah, Stephen Gallagher, obviously, and Stevens. I did think about having uh, the name for this week. I was going to do Dons and Donalds for obvious and unpleasant reasons, but um, I couldn't think of, I could only think of two. Um, Donny Hammond, uh, good PGA Tour player in the 80s and J. Don Blake, very similar in fact they were both very similar, they both had moustaches they both rocked moustaches um, What about yeah. Donald Ross? Donald Ross in terms of golf course design, yes oh, was, was he not a player? Uh, well, so the ladies tell me I don't, um, I, um, was he a player? I mean I know him certainly, I'm sure he was a player of some repute I'll look that up and maybe put in a little, uh, a little bit of clarification here Donald Ross was from Dornoch in the north of Scotland and was a professional golfer. In fact, he was the professional at Pinehurst, where he famously designed several of the courses. He did finish fifth in the US Open, but his brother Alec achieved greater fame as a player, winning the US Open in 1907. Um, But yes, mostly known for golf course design. Um, I wonder if moustaches are going to come back in in a big way, because Donny Hammond and J. Don Blake, they were far bigger in America, moustaches, than in the UK in the 80s. Um, don't know mm. if you have any thoughts on that, Eddie. Well, Brooks has been sporting a one, hasn't he? Mm. Didn't, look, didn't, didn't look his best, I'll be honest. No, I hope they don't come back. No, I thought a man of his physical stature would have a, be- a better moustache, but it was rather rather feeble. Right, our name for this week on There Aren't Many Golfers Called Alan is um, Co- uh, Paul. <laughs> Paul. <laughs> Co- Paul. Uh, Paul. Paul, Polly, Paul. Um, so, can you think of any Pauls? Or there are quite a few Pauls actually. So go for it if you have any. So straight off the bat, you know, last week uh, we were talking about Alan Dunbar because we were reminded yes. that um, you know, yeah, we were reminded of Alan. Well, um, Paul Alan Cutler. Wells. Paul, Paul Cutler. Cutler. Now I used to play golf with Paul as a as an amateur, but um, you know, bit of an obscure one to start with, I know. But I thought. There's a link there to Alan Dunbar, so... Um, okay, yep. yeah, fine. And uh, Paul Cutler exists, and I am aware of his name, and he's a golfer. So Paul Cutler, good. Okay, I'll go uh, slightly higher on Paul Azinger, fairly obvious one. Won the 93 US PGA, uh, his only major win, but second to Faldo at Muirfield in 87. Um, really thought he was going to win there. In fact, he bogeyed the 17th and the 18th, Azinger, and Faldo did his 18 pars thing. He lost by one after bogeying the last two holes. Ryder Cup, stalwart, was captain in 2008. Played Ryder Cup 89, 91, 93. Then a big gap to 2002. I mean, he had, he had cancer on his shoulder in uh, 94, thereabouts. But um, yeah, died in the wool, American, uh, from a military family, um, and passionate, uh, as passionate about America and the Ryder Cup as you'd imagine sort of Seve for for Europe. And they had some ding-dong battles, but Paul Azinger. And a, a, well, an erstwhile colleague as well in, in BBC commentary, and now doing a commentary on Fox. <laughs> yeah, well, renowned commentator. And, um, you know, I always remember last year when Francesco held that part on the 18th of Bay Hill, and I think he described it as the moment of his career, not that long after winning the Open Championships. So, um, that's, yeah, that's well, 
What a mind. Um, right. Paul, uh, Paula Creamer. Okay, you've gone, you've added a vowel and and changed gender. So good, Paula Creamer. Okay, well, I'll accept that. Um, yeah, yeah. Paula Creamer. Um, I'll be honest, I, I have very little information on her, but uh, seem, when I think about her face, uh, flags of America painted on her cheeks, a Solheim cup and little fluffy earrings. That, mm. that kind of... The Pink Panther, Paula Creamer. She's got a little Pink Panther. She likes to wear a lot of pink. She's got the Pink Panther head cover. Um, she won the US Women's Open. But a long time ago, it was 2010. Was she the one who had... Did, yeah, did she have quite a dip in her swing, or am I thinking of Natalie Golbis? You're thinking of Natalie Golbis, yeah, she really yeah. did. She had a sort of Charles Barkley-esque dip, uh, but much better golfer. But yeah, she really did sort of drop the head. Gary Stahl, Gary Stahl style. Gary Stahl, uh, we've done Gary's. Right, okay, Paul Goidos. Paul Goidos won twice in the PGA Tour. Actually, you remember, lost a playoff in the Playoffs Championship to Garcia. It was 2008. And he shot 59 in the John Deere Classic in 2010. Very, very nice man, Paul Goidos. Uh, by all accounts, very funny as well. It's a real self-deprecation. Um, and he's known a, a tragedy in his personal life as well. His, his, his wife died uh, you know, very young. Um, there's a Golf Digest article by John Feinstein, which is well worth a read on Paul Goidos. But um, a lovely man. And there we are. There's another poll for you. And didn't he used to play golf with his top button done up, which I always like. Yeah, yes, no, I didn't like that at all. But I think he had really thick grips as well. You know, these arthritic grips as well. I might be making that up or imagining it or um, confusing with someone else, but I thought he had very thick, uh, thick grips. Have you got any more polls for us? Yeah, well, I'm going to go for Paul Waring. Ah, um, Scouser. Yes, uh, Cheshire, isn't he? Yes. Is so, he a Scouser? Uh, because he's from Birkenhead. Are they, well, I think they're known as Woollybacks, people from Wirral. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I originally thought he was from Yorkshire until I said that to him and he really oh. laid into me. So, um, yeah, no, good player, Paul, and really nice guy. Um, yeah, fairly vocal on Twitter. I mean, I've been, I follow him. And uh, in the fact, in the world rankings, he has um, he's one of these players that has his birthday uh, after his name, which strange you see that sometimes on the world rankings i only know that because i'm literally on the website now oh god this is um, how you're doing it again this is when they have multiple paul wearing so i don't know who the other paul wearing is but if there are more than one then they have to say give the date of birth afterwards oh is that right mm, yeah that's not his fu- his full name isn't um with a date in there he won the uh, 2018 scandinavian masters that was his first european tour win in his 200th event so there we are staying power and um keep at it and could be yours. Paul He's Casey. He's a fit man. He's is, a he, fit man. is he a fit man? As is Paul Casey, actually. The oh, two well, we're going Pauls. For, are they the two fittest yeah. Pauls? Paul is Paul Casey's particularly fit at the moment, I, I would say. He, yeah, he is. He's into, he's into his mountain biking and snowboarding and, and his play person here, which I'm very envious of. But um, is he, would you say Paul Casey is, he, is an not an unfulfilled talent because he's you know he's I mean he's won fourteen times in European Tour three times on the PGA Tour as well so maybe forget that he's not unfulfilled but in major championships that he hasn't he's had nine top tens but never really threatened to win any of them I remember he was third in the the Open at St Andrews when he and he played with Oosthuizen in the final round but a long way back I don't know because he's he's such a talented player that I just wonder if he might have had more of a, a run at a major. Yeah, it's a tough one, isn't it? He is such a good player. Um, tough to say. I think anyone who's been in the Tiger era, Tiger era, is you know going to have suffered, obviously, on the win front. But uh, 
Yeah, tough tough to say. Maybe you just didn't putt well enough. I seem to have that mm. idea in my mind that you maybe didn't hold the putts at the right time. Um, but uh, my favourite Paul Casey memory, I remember watching TV. I'm certain it was the Vivendi Trophy or the Seve Trophy. Mm. And he played with Tommy Fleetwood, I think, in the foursomes. And Tim Barter interviewed him afterwards. And I think he'd just come back from an injury, Paul Casey. And Tim just um, asked him uh, about how far he was hitting the ball and couldn't believe how far he was hitting it. And his response was... Well, Barty, there's uh, nothing quite like a fit PC. And I just thought, that's peak Paul Casey. Um, It's the third person in there as well. Oh, his use of the third person is just remarkable. And actually, having spent a bit of time with him, I I think I'd laugh at it now. But uh, I used to cringe. But um, no... Uh, yeah, he is uh, he's great all round value, I suppose. I like Paul Casey. There's a good video of him, which I saw, I think, on YouTube many years ago. It's, been, it's probably been uploaded by several other people now claiming to be that person. Oh, I'm, I'm bitter <laughs> and angry. Anyway, um, but uh, where he's installing uh, a weights rack in his house. And it's, I think I think he third persons himself a couple of times in that says this is going to be good for Paul Casey. Again, I might be making that up. Perhaps I dreamt it, but it's, uh, if, I might have to go and search for that video now. Um, but no, yeah, that, yes. that video exists because I've seen it. I've seen the video. <laughs> it's a good gym. It's oh dear. So Casey was one of mine. So you've got to come up with another one now. Oh, I saw um, just now Jean Paul Strydon, which just reminded me of Jean Paul Gaultier, which is a nice perfume. But uh, mm. no, nothing of Jean Paul Strydon other than he's from South Africa, and. Um, John Paul, that's a, that's a good name. Yeah. And it's not a Paul, but thank you for that. So you're just reading off the 2089th in the world rankings now. What about Paul uh, Paul Dunn? There's another fit Paul. He was to, took part in that. Remember the challenge the European Tour did to play the, uh, the fastest golf hole ever? Yeah. And who won it? Belgian player. Oh, I've forgotten his name. Dietrich. Uh, yes, it was Thomas Dietrich. Uh, Dietrich. Dietrich. Thomas the Tree uh, won it and did it remarkably quickly. But Paul Dunn set off far too quickly. So he just sprinted after his drive and basically the lactic built up and he, he just about died before his second shot. So, But he was tied for the lead. Talking about St Andrews, he was tied for the lead going to the final round in uh, 2015. Again, yeah. Oosthuizen was there, played in the final group, went out in level par as an amateur, came home in six over. Didn't even win low amateur that year. Um, is it worth me even asking you who was low amateur that year? Who? I played it, uh, but no, I have no idea. How did you get on 2015? <laughs> I had a good third round going. I was eight under on my third round and then made it to the television only to hit the hotel on the 17th C. So, uh, yeah, thanks for bringing that up. I'm sure you knew what you were doing there, you spiteful. So when you make, when you get a run, a run like that and you're eight under, eight under for the championship or for your round? Or for tournament. Yeah, tournament. I was like tied lead at this point. Oh, God, I mean, I... the leaders hadn't gone out, but on the leaderboard, I was tied first. Yeah, I should remember that because this was the last of the BBC's live open championships. But anyway, so you get to eight under and then do you feel, because what they've got is they've got the mini cams out on the course, because you've got the cameras up in their, up in their rostrums behind greens and whatever it might be. But then we've got a certain amount of mini cams out on the course. It might only be three or four of them maximum. So when do you then feel the mini camera appearing behind you in the fairway? Oh, I remember just, yeah, you know, all of a sudden I saw my name on the leaderboard and I stood on the tee shot, obviously 17th. You know, we all know the hole. And I took it on because it is tight up the left. And um, yeah, hit it, hit, hit the hotel. Um, and I mean, I didn't just hit the hotel. I hit the other side of the hotel. And uh, and then the reload was, oh, my God. You know, this all of a sudden was... Uh, I will say the wind was into off the left. And uh, yeah, you know, it wasn't my favourite wind, but it was a shocker. And, do you ever... Um, 
I mean, I know you can't because you're concentrating so much, but do you ever for just a moment think about what a commentator might be saying at that moment that you're in the lead and you've carved it over the Old Gross Hotel and you've got Peter going, oh, young Pepperell, <laughs> what has happened to him? You do, it does run through your mind what people might be thinking. Not so much the commentators, because, you know, I, I know most of them are a bunch of... Uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But uh, certainly the um, the crowd, you kind of, you can see in people's eyes and you just, you're just just aware. <laughs> you, you feel very small at that point and it's like, oh, the eyes are on me. Everyone's watching me crumble and uh, I've now got to go and do it again. Yeah, it's a bit mm. of a lonely place to be, but um, oh, I lo- anyway. I love, the way, I love the way Paul Dunn has taken us down that, uh, I, that dark I, memory. Um, well, I, Paul Dunn was also my partner at the Jacques Leglise Trophy when uh, I was about 18, 17, 18. So, um, yeah, I played with Paul growing up. Oh, He's a good kid, right. Paul. Paul's a really nice lad. Yeah. And actually really struggled the last couple of years. I mean, he is actually, I know I talk about a Peter Laurie drive, which I think is the worst I've ever seen. But Paul Dunn is also responsible for one of the worst drives I've ever seen. And it was at Gullen in 2018. I played the first two rounds with him. And we're on the 18th tee. I don't know if you can picture that, yeah, Andrew. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So obviously you're at the top of the hill mm-hmm. and you're playing all the way down and the rough was up and it was wind was into off the left. And he hit it. He hit it the other side of the first tee, which is just unbelievable. I mean, I can't tell you how far left it was. The reason he did it was because the first round with the same wind, he hit it so far right, he hit it over the TV unit. And I mean... The, I'm telling you, there's 250 yards between the, these two drives. And uh, and he ended up making the best par to make the cut. He, uh, he got a drop off the tee box, hit a four iron onto the green and two putted. I think mm. he made the cut, but uh, oh, it was amazing to watch. But um, sorry, we've got a story there. But. No, that's good. We like stories. The worst tee shots ever hit. We've had Peter, uh, Paul, uh, Mary, Mary, Mary Peters, uh, Former Olympic heptathlete champion. She had a terrible tee shot once in a pro-am. Um, and Eddie's tee shot on the 17th at St Andrews, the old course as well. That's a contender. Right. Was that was done me or you? Uh, uh, I think it was you. Okay, go on. Have you got any more? Well, I'm done. Okay, you are done. Uh, McGinley? How could we of How course. could we forget? Four European Tour wins. Played on three Ryder Cups. I mean, his Ryder Cup record is fantastic because he won them all. 2002, 4 and 6, and then won as captain in 2014. Only one top 10 in a major McGinley, which I thought, is it, he got really hot around 2003 and 4. And actually, in the 2004 USPGA, he was sixth at Whistling Straits. Um, Paul Eels won the European Tour in 94. Lovely, lovely Paul Eels. Won the just extra- on... Um, yeah, go. Just on Paul McGinley. You, you, obviously, Edinburgh Jimmy um, yeah, yeah. was his caddy. I played with Paul at the Dunhill. The only time I ever played with Paul McGinley was a couple of years ago. And Edinburgh Jimmy was caddying for him. And those who know Edinburgh Jimmy, he is just was the greatest character. Um, but he's <laughs> Paul McGinley would give him so much crap on mm. the course and from my perspective i could not believe it because i'd only seen paul mcginley in in the kind of setting where he's incredibly uh, insightful and calm mm. and uh, you know full of full of good stuff and then on the golf course he does change a bit and uh, and i was like wow this is amazing and this and uh, he would give edinburgh jimmy some stuff and uh, yeah edinburgh would come back with his classic swear word which i won't repeat but uh, oh it's just brilliant 
Yeah, he was. He was a, a. Yeah, he was a lovely man. Great character, Edinburgh Jimmy. But yeah, oh, Paul's got some. McGinley's got some fire on the golf course. But um, yeah, but uh, usually very, very thoughtful and suave and urbane individual. So Paul Eels uh, mentioned he won the Extra Maduro Open in 1994. I did a lot of commentary with Paul over the the years, and he's he's doing well in the or he's doing well in the seniors tour. Um, played with Mickelson in the final round in because uh, he was working with us on Five Live that year in 2002 in the Open Championship, and he ended up. Playing, being drawn with Mickelson in the final round, but said he'll still do the commentary, come back in and do some commentary in the <laughs> afternoon or whatever it might be. So there we are. But I've left off the the most successful Paul of all time in major championships, in men's major championships. Wow. I mean, are you going to ask me to guess who it is? Uh, I mean, there's no, you, there's absolutely no point to that. But, uh, can, you 19, are, can you give me a decade? 1930s. Oh, my God. Um, yeah, no, uh, I'm afraid. Uh, Paul, Paul Rockefeller? Paul Rockefeller, yeah, uh, also wrote Rockefeller Skank. Uh, Paul Runyon. Now, I say major championships. He won the USPGA twice, and this was when it was match play, and this was also before it was really confirmed as a major. Major championships in the men's side of things were not a, you know, a set in stone as those four championships, but he won the... Paul Runyon won the PGA um, twice in the 1930s. So we've got to decide quickly uh, who is the greatest Paul golfer of all time. Uh, contenders might be Runyon, <laughs> might be Azinger, might be... Oh, have we mentioned... I don't think we've mentioned Paul Laurie. No, we haven't. Oh, come on now. Right, OK. Obviously, open at Carnoustie, eight European Tour wins, played in the Ryder Cup in 99 and 2012. OK, if you watched Medina yesterday, who did he beat in the singles? And he thumped him as Brant well. Brant Snedeker. Yeah, he beat the Sneds. Um, so there we are as a contender Azinger, Laurie or Runyon or Casey maybe yeah. who's, who's the greatest Paul That's a of them all one, isn't it? I, I suspect I'm going to show some recency bias here and say Paul Casey but are you going to say Paul Azinger how many times did Azinger win on the PGA Tour and a major um, I mean he won many many times on the PGA Tour so if you put, add many times I, I'm going to guess about 12 or 15 times in mm. the, and he won the PGA you know as yeah. well and, I think I, mean, I think Azinger you can and really he doesn't and I'm not sure though his commentary skills I think of a lot he just doesn't refer to himself in the third person often enough to uh, come second in this poll yeah. well, we should vote for Casey just so we can then speak to him we could say Paul Casey's very happy with being voted the greatest Paul of all time in golf so there we are lots of polls actually some interesting ones as well um, in this latest episode of there aren't many golfers called Alan but quite a few called Paul <laughs> Yeah, that's quite good if you like that sort of thing. There we are. That sting tells you that it's time for Eddie Recommends now. Uh, Eddie's given up on Eddie Recommends, although I think you have got something for this week, have you? I actually have. Um, Jen was told to watch a couple of programmes on Netflix, um, so we did this week. One was called 13th, Mm. and the other's called When They See Us, which I think has just come out. But 13th is a documentary, and uh, it's really... You know, obviously it's about, well, it's not obviously about, but it's about um, the plight of, uh, well, black people in America, really. And I suppose it's quite timely with what's going on. So it's been a bit of an educational journey for myself because I've been watching what's happening. And, um, you know, obviously it's absolutely tragic. And um, but I really know nothing about it. So I've kept very quiet. But I will say this this program, particularly 13th, was eye opening and I would recommend everyone to watch it. So uh, 
Yeah, it was very, very good on Netflix. Was it called the 13th or the 13th? It's called 13th. I think it's to do with the 13th Amendment. And you oh. realise more about the... It's, it's really more about the structural um, setup of that particular amendment and the prison system. And it's a real view back through history and policies. And you realise this is really systemic. So when I look at it, I think, oh, is there, you know, to say that everywhere's racist, I just think is inherently untrue. And I do think that. But when you look at the systemic set up of the system uh through history you realize oh my god this is um there's some shocking realities here so um it was eye-opening from my perspective i will say that as a brit and as a 29 year old it was pretty eye-opening and what was the other program you said uh when they see us and that's a four-part documentary based on a true story which is also shocking but um yeah we've only through one episode of that but uh it's so far so good and uh, yeah Good. Uh, we had a recommendation. Well, that's good. 13th and When They See Us. Um, recommendation came in on reviews. Uh, review title, Useless Information from Swain109. Um, happy birthday, 109. Um, since Eddie seems to enjoy useless information, uh, he should look at Bill Bryson books. Wow, well, I mean, you must. Bill Bryson books are just tremendous. Brief History of Everything, which is very, very good. I enjoyed his one about 1927. It was just about that year and all the seismic events which happened in that year. And then the one I've been reading recently is uh, The Body, which is very, 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 very good. Um, still excellent, and the guests are the best with lovely informal chats. That's him talking about us now, Eddie, not Bill Bryson, talk, but they were. Talk. Well, with a bit of a tedious link, Bryson, the body, Bryson mm. DeChambeau. Uh-huh. I'm quite excited to see how big he's going to be when he okay. comes back on TV. I'm actually commentating this week with Henny on Golf TV for 90 Minutes on Thursday. Are so you? So I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. And I, I'm I'm excited to see how big and how good he looks. He's okay. massive, isn't he, now? Well, that's, that's some great commentary you've just done there for a start. Um, you seem to be disappearing. My connection quality, it says, has gone from five stars down to no stars. Are you still yeah. there? On, you sound terrible. Oh no, Eddie's disappeared. This is uh, I, is your internet. What's your signal like? What does it say? Does it have how many stars do you have out of five? You've you've come back now. It's okay. better now. How many stars yeah. do you have? Well, I don't know because I'm not on my computer no. and I've got to type in the password and it's slightly away from the microphone, so I, ca- I can't okay. really do all those things okay. at once. Well, we, we've we've ridden that through that brief um, that brief bit of awfulness and technical problems. But um, Right, so there we are. Uh, Eddie recommends uh, 13th and When They See Us. A uh, bit of Bill Bryson book recommendage as well. Right, uh, we're just going to round off with one of the countries that listens to us, one of the 113 countries, um, in a feature which I think we'll, we should start calling Eddie's Country of the Week. We'll do a sting for it. Eddie's country of the week. So we're going to do... No, we're not going to do that. We're going to do Tanzania. <laughs> right, okay, you play, play another chord, whatever one that was. Eddie's country of the week. Um, right, Tanzania. I don't know, that was uh, some sort of minor chord. Tanzania, which is bordered by Uganda and Kenya to the north. It's in East Africa. In fact, it was known um, back in... Uh, those days of empire and uh, building and um, and colonial times. German East Africa, this is where Germany focused their attentions around they had Burundi and Rwanda and the mainland part of Tanzania. Then the British took over after the First World War. So the name Tanzania is a compound of uh, Tanganyika, which was the name for the mainland part in the early 1960s, and the islands of Zanzibar just off the coast. That's where Tanzania comes from. It was unified with Zanzibar in 1964. So who's the most famous person to come from Zanzibar, Eddie? Now, there's a very, very famous person in rock music that was uh, from Zanzibar. Um, oh, rock music. Oh, God, that's a... T- uh, John Daly. 
John Daly uh, was born in, in Zanzibar. No, Freddie Mercury was born in Zanzibar. Farouk wow. Bulsara. So he was born, raised there, only fled when um, he was 18. The family left at the time of the Zanzibar Revolution that brought um, the archipelago of Zanzibar and uh, Tanganyika together. Uh, Tanzania, also known for Mount Kilimanjaro, which is on the, in the very north and near the border with uh, Kenya. 19,300 feet or so. Uh, a peak which was beyond Robbie Savage when he tried to climb it for charity. Um, Carl Egloff, a Swiss guy, um, has, has done it. He holds the record up and down, six hours, 56 minutes, which is just extraordinary. But the reason I bring up Mount Kilimanjaro in particular is because when you talk about golf in Tanzania, there are 10 clubs in Tanzania, seven of them nine-hole courses. Two of the 18-hole ones are in the capital, uh, Dar es Salaam. Uh, they've got the Tanzania People's Defence Forces Lugalo Golf Club. And you've got the Dar es Salaam Gymkhana Club. But the newest and best course, I'm told, in Tanzania is Mount Kilimanjaro Golf Club, which opened in 2015 on the Kilimanjaro uh, Golf and Wildlife Estate, designed by... No, no, not Gary Player, no. Designed by David Jones uh, of the Monkeys. No, he died, sadly. Uh, David Jones, the Northern Irish pro, who won the Kenyan Open back in the day. So there we are. That's the, And it looks spectacular. Look at the pictures, and it's got Kilima, Mount Kilimanjaro in the distance. And do, we I'm always the, a li- do we know the altitude? Uh, it's at 1,400 metres. Um, well, that's high. So it's higher than, well, it's higher than Ben Nevis. But, yeah, so you'll get a little bit of uh, extra flight in your golf ball there. Um, but there we are. So uh, if you are the person listening in Tanzania or persons, there are a few downloads in Tanzania, then thank you for listening. Carry on listening. And um, uh, that's about it, really. Have you got anything else this week, Eddie? Uh, funny enough, no, Andrew. <laughs> I uh, know very little of Zanzibar, as you, Zanzibar or Tanzania. As they... yeah, we'll leave it there, shall we? Um... Yeah, what are your plans for this week? Uh, I'm actually seeing my coach. I'm I'm actually going to play the whistly, so I might bump into uh, the, the honorary vice president. president. Oh no, <laughs> sorry, he's the president and the vice president. <laughs> yeah, um, be great if I bump into either of those two. Um, but I'm actually going to have a, a game with Laurie Cantor and Jordan Smith, and my coach is going to come along as well. Uh, Laurie actually has just joined the Wisley, as has Jordan Smith, and they on Laurie's first day he had a run in with a member and was called many many names and it really did turn into an ugly scene bowl account so well that was quite funny so wow um, you can't so, he, so. he drove the green on the first now laurie's got a habit of doing this we once we last year we played at frilford and there's a hole on the red court the red course the 13th it's a it's a sharp dog leg left it's 380 yards and it was downwind and there was a group in front of us but they had quite a long way gone i thought anyway and Laurie said, I'm going to go for the green. And I was like, well, you've got these 150 foot, no joke, trees to, to have to go over. I've never seen anybody pull the shot off, but Laurie Cantor did. It's still one of the greatest shots I've ever seen. We get up there and there's a pitch mark eight foot from the hole. And the group in front, they just stood there waiting and they said, um. you nearly you nearly killed us. And I was like, I, you know, as 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 the member and as the lead pro, I, I ran away in the bushes. But um no, they weren't. They took it very well for what must have been an, a, I mean, a, a very scary moment because this ball would have come down from such a height. And uh, yeah, Laurie's got real, real um, anger issues. issues. No, well, he's got that as well. But his, his, uh, what's the word? His etiquette, his golf etiquette, is, is really got to be brushed up on. Yeah. Is he a bit of a rebel? He says, "I don't care for your conventions of uh, of waiting for people to clear and well, shouting for." S- since being five under through seven at Port Rush, his ego has just gone through the roof. And um, he was seven under after seven, wasn't he? Seven under was he? I think he was. Oh. Uh, well, he'll correct us if we're wrong, but um, uh, he's listening in Tanzania, so. 
Um, good. Well, I'm I'm not sure quite. The, I'm just checking my junk email because it might have gone straight to spam or junk the email invitation for me to come and play the Wesley, but I can't see it. So uh, not quite sure what's happened there. Anyway, don't pretend that I wouldn't have a game of golf with you. You always come up with excuses about your left hip. All right, we'll so play. No, that'll be my comeback we game. Should, we'll go and play somewhere. We should have a game, record the podcast, do a bit of on-life, on-course commentary. Okay, well, let's do it at, at uh, Abingdon, and I'll try and recreate the shot and just, just about reach the base of the trees that... Um, oh, sorry, it was Frilford, wasn't it? it wasn't Frilford, Abingdon. yeah. We Frilford. could go down the Abbey Meadows, play the Abbey Meadows. At, uh... Abbey Meadows. What a wonderful woman. Right, uh, okay, that's it for this week. Um, and uh, we'll we'll be back next week unless we've just hopped off the train and run off into the distance. Bye for now. Bye-bye.